everybody? Everybody's sufficiently full of turkey and stuffing and Christmas shopping. Anybody brave? Black Friday? Did you really? You're a little more enthused than <laughs> like, woo, yeah. Some people were getting up and going um, like Christmas or um Christmas, Thanksgiving night and getting in line and like, oh my goodness. So anyway, I just don't feel like I want to wear body armor when I go shopping. I just that doesn't sound like fun to me. Anyway. A um, couple things I want to let you know about. Um, next week, Sunday, which is the 4th of December, if my calendar is correct, uh, we're going to do Family Sunday, which means that the kids will um, be out here with us. And um, we're going to do that periodically, so it gives our children's uh, workers a chance to be in service, and the kids get to learn how to actually be in service. So, you know, uh, so we're going to do that um, the first Sunday of every month starting next month. So December 4, there'll be uh, child care for the babies, but um, for toddlers and for the older kids, they're going to be here in service, so keep that in mind. Now, the other thing to remind you of is that Christmas Eve is coming. Yay! And you'll notice on your chair are a couple of little invite cards, and we're just going to ask you to, to take those with you, and on the back it um, gives kind of a uh, um, series that we're in, um, this Advent series, and uh, trying to um, give you an opportunity to um, invite your family and friends to, to join us for uh, any one of the Christmas or any one of the Advent uh, services, then, but then, of course, Christmas Eve, too. You can take that and um, make, it, make it a little bit easier for you to do some inviting. Um, I was talking with, um, with my coach the other day, and he said, he goes, you know what, you can't make disciples if there aren't any people there. I said, well, yeah, that's a good point. So we want to try to fill the, the room with chairs so that, or fill the chairs with people in the room. Not enough turkey dressing, clearly not. Uh, or coffee, as the case may be. Anyway, um, so we want to try to fill the, the room that night, Christmas Eve. We're going to be 6 o'clock here. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And so um, invite your friends and your family. It'd be great. And since uh, we are getting into the Christmas season, we're going to start with a Christmas story. So I invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is where we're going to start. Um, very often at Thrive Church, we, uh, we do things topically. Sometimes we do things biblically. Most of the time we do a little bit of both, at least I hope so. Uh, today is for you Bible scholars. It's scriptural. I think you'll enjoy it. You might want to have your Bible handy for this one. Um, but I thought well, we would start <clears throat> by reading um, a little bit out of the Gospel of Matthew um, in, in the Christmas story. Now, remember, uh, this is a library, and this is a um, part of the biography of Jesus. And um, um, it, the, the, the Gospel of Matthew is decidedly Jewish. In fact, Matthew himself is a Jew, and he's writing to other Jews. And so whenever we open the book of Matthew, we have to keep in mind, again, that we are tourists, and that very often there are cultural references in the Gospel of Matthew that we can just miss because we're, we're tourists. We don't understand necessarily the customs or the references are there. And so we're going to do a little bit of, of digging uh, today to try to pull some of that out because I think there's some, some beautiful meaning in that when we understand 
uh, what the original writer was intending for his audience, and that there's some, some meaning for us today. So let's go to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 18, because I don't think you really want me to read through the genealogy. Apparently, Jewish people were very interested in who's your daddy, because they go and talk about that quite a bit, um, the first you know, 16, 17 uh, verses of Matthew. So let's start in 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, just a quick aside, Jesus is a certain version of the term Yeshua, which means Savior, okay, in Hebrew. So that um, helps, helps that little sentence to make sense. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So this is very Jewish in, in many respects. First of all, it's written with Joseph in view, which is very different than the other Christmas story, which is in Luke, which is written from Mary's point of view. So I hate to say it, ladies, it's just a patriarchal society. That's just the way things work. And so in this case, he wanted to, to bring up who Joseph was. And notice he calls him the son of David. That means that he's of the royal lineage, even though he was living kind of in a backwater part of, of Israel at that point. He was not in Jerusalem or in the court. In fact, Joseph was a carpenter um, from, you know, I, I'm not even sure where to describe it. He was a redneck. Let's just call it what it is, okay? He's in that part of the country, um, and the, uh, the author is, is more interested in that aspect because uh, of the male lineage that's of interest to, to most Jews. But there's also this Old Testament reference, right? We saw it in there. Um, it says, it says, a all this to fill according to what the prophet had said. So there's Old Testament reference, which is really interesting. Now, I wanted to tell you, Dan and I have not talked about this. And so the fact that he brought this one up today just kind of hit me. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, the Holy Spirit's doing something. Sweet. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about this Old Testament reference because it's in Isaiah 7, and it's concerned with a king named Ahaz. That's a great name for a king, Ahaz. And um, so if you uh, want to keep your finger in Matthew chapter 1, switch over to Isaiah chapter 7, and we're going to kind of pick this apart because I think that what's happening in Matthew 1 and Isaiah 7, I think there's, there's a reason why those two things are connected, and we're going to talk about them um, today. So we're going to spend our time on this short little verse, uh, verse 22 and 23, in, uh, in Matthew, which is talking about, do I have that as a slide, kiddo? Uh, back, go backwards. There it is. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then here's the quote. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. By the way, this word here, virgin, can also mean young woman. So keep that in mind because um, it, 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 it's not necessarily a, a, a Jewish thing when it comes to virgin birth, but rather this word is, is young woman. It's going to make sense here in a moment. Okay. So let me tell you a little bit about King Ahaz. Ahaz is a young king who has recently ascended the throne uh, in the story, according to Isaiah 7. And he is at war with his neighbors. And let me just say that the battles are not going well for him. Uh, it's not like, you know, it was a complete disaster, but it would be the equivalent of a coach going six and six on the year. Does that make sense for those of you who are football fans? Um, it's not quite enough to get, you know, too concerned about because it's early on in his career, but let's just say he could very easily be on the hot seat. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's King Ahaz. He's young. He's newly ascended to the throne. He's at war with his neighbors. It's not going well. And here's the problem. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows that it's not going well. So you can only imagine how this guy is feeling. And on top of war with his neighbors, there is the threat of a superpower. It's the Assyrians way to the north of Israel, and they've been nosing around the area because for whatever reason, human beings, when you are a superpower, you just can't leave things alone. You got to be nosing around in other people's business. And that's exactly what the Assyrians were doing. So Ahaz had this policy of actually um, creating diplomatic ties with the Assyrians in order to protect his country, and all the other kings around him didn't like that. So not only do you have these wars going on, but there's politics and there's intrigue. And you think that things are interesting in an election year here, right? Same thing is going on. It's amazing how some things never really change. So here we have this political environment, this military environment, and it just seems like for poor Ahaz, it's bad news piling up upon bad news. Okay, you with me? Now into this mess, God sends a prophet named Isaiah. Now um, Dan and I attended the same seminary, and uh, I don't know if it was the same for you, but you could always tell which professor was um, teaching um, or speaking at chapel because everyone would come out either saying Isaiah or Isaiah because certain professors liked Isaiah better than Isaiah. I say Isaiah, you can say Isaiah, potato, potato, let's call the whole thing off, right? So Isaiah, the prophet, is sent into this mess. God says, go to Ahaz, meet him in this particular place, and here's some things that I want um, you to tell him. So he sends him. Here's the message. Next slide. <clears throat> And the next one, say to him, be careful, keep calm, and do not be afraid. Now, let me ask you a real live question here. How many of you would love it if God would tell you something like that? <laughs> Straight up, right to your face, prophet walks up and says to you, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Yeah, but remember, this is a real person, right? Ahaz actually existed. And he was living in this mess, and he didn't have the benefit of reading the end of the book. So for him, this was a big deal. Prophet comes in and says, relax, keep calm, don't be afraid. And then he goes on to say, 
um, right after this verse. He says, in fact, every one of your neighbors, you know all those people that you're warring with? They're going to be in ruin in a very short period of time. Sounds good to me, right? I'm dealing with all the bad news. I'm dealing with all the junk. And what you're telling me is after a period of time, if I just relax a little bit, they're going to be wiped out. Yeah, that's exactly what, what Isaiah is telling him through God. And historically, this is true because the Assyrians sweep down from the north and pretty much wipe out everybody else. Except for good King Ahaz, who has said, hey, you know what, let's be friends, <laughs> right? You know, it's amazing to me how much better service I get at the stores and the restaurants when I'm just nice to people. I think Ahaz may have figured that part out. I don't know, but get that idea. <clears throat> and yet, in this, in this entire prophetic word, there's also a little bit of a warning. And I want you to see what this warning is. Next slide. Say to him, uh, say to him um, keep calm, um, uh, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Then he says at the end of it, if you do not stand firm in your, what's the word here? Faith, right? You will not stand at all. So I'm going to take care of this for you. You just have to be faithful. And the way you're going to be faithful is by being careful, keeping calm, and not being afraid. You with me? So there's this little, little tagline right at the end. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So it's this, this warning of sorts, of sorts. And then God does something else that's truly remarkable. Next slide. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz through Isaiah. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Now think about that for a moment. Isaiah the prophet meets the king out in the middle of nowhere, gives him this uh, prophecy, and then says, by the way, in case you're still wondering, why don't you ask God for a sign? Yeah, I'd like to do that too. That, that would be great if, you know, God wants you to do something and you sense it and, and then it would be like, why don't, why don't you just pick a sign? You pick it. And, and here's what it is. The, the deepest depths and the highest heights. So it doesn't matter. Nothing is off limits. You go ahead, you pick the sign just so that you know that God is with you and he's going to do this thing that he just prophesied to you. Are you with me? This is a big deal. I would love it if I got to pick my own sign. How about you? I know what, what kind of signs I would pick too. <laughs> just, I just, I know what those would be. You probably have that too. So that you know, you pick. You know, the, the challenge for all of us is very similar to what, what Ahaz uh, was experiencing. He doesn't have the benefit of reading the end of the book. I mean, we don't, we don't know what our story is going to be like. And I suspect that there are signs all over the place. It just may not be the ones that we want, right? But that God is still active and he's still available and and so what I would suggest is that you would continue to pray that God would reveal to you the signs that he is active and doing things in your life. The Holy Spirit's checking you on that one. You might want to pray about it. Now, in a kind of an astonishing little phrase, this conversation, Ahaz makes the statement. He said, I will not ask for a sign. I will not put the Lord to the test. 
Now, doesn't that sound wise? I mean, that just sounds like, man, that's a really good idea. You ask me to pick, but I'm just going gonna, gonna to defer and say, no, 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 I'm not going to put the Lord God to your test. Now, this is really quite funny. And I'll tell you why. Because Isaiah goes on and makes a reply. Isaiah said, um, Here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? There is some serious sarcasm going on here. Because let me tell you, if you read in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, Ahaz was a rascal. He was testing God left and right all over the place. He was doing some really nasty stuff during his reign. And in fact, the, the, the historians who put together those two books do not cast him in a very positive light. And here he is looking all pious and wise going, I'll let God decide what that is. And Isaiah calls him on it and goes, seriously, this is what you're going to do? You've been testing all of your friends and you've been testing God since the day you took office. Here you are. And you're going to pull this one on us? Mm -mm. And then he goes on to say, verse 14, this is, the, this is the big one. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, when we re read that at Christmas time, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. It sounds all wonderful, doesn't it? Oh, God, he's just so good to us. and He's going to give you the sign. Really, God's ticked off. He didn't want to have to give the sign. He didn't want to have to pick it. But he's like, okay, since you're not going to do it, God's going to give you one anyway, just so that you know, you know that you're on the right track. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. It's a, it's a beautiful line, but it's kind of done in a testy sort of way, which I find very interesting. that's the case, I'm going to give you a sign, and that sign is a baby. Now, that baby, does anybody know who it was? Who was, who was prophesying to Ahaz? Ahaz had a son. His name was Hezekiah. He was a great king. He was the best king since, since King David himself and Solomon. He was very much opposite of what his father and forefathers were like. He was a very good king, loved God, tried to do right by his people, and uh, really was the presence of God again with his people. And through Hezekiah and his line, we end up with Jesus. And if you're interested, you can go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 9, and you can see the direct progression of Ahaz to Hezekiah all the way down eventually to Jesus. So really, this, this sign that the Lord was giving wasn't just to Hezekiah, but it was really for all of his descendants. The Lord will give you a sign. And yes, Ahaz, you are a rascal, but I still have a plan for you, and I still have a plan for the house of David. There are things that I want to accomplish through that, so I'm going to give you a sign. You're going to have, one of your wives is going to have a baby, and you're going to call him Emmanuel. Now, the question is, for us today... Flipping back to Matthew, why on earth would Matthew choose this particular passage to bring up in, in his birth narrative? Why, why choose this one? I find that kind of an, an interesting sort of turn. He connects his story of the birth of Jesus with this Old Testament prophecy. Now, for centuries, Christians believed um, 
that the prophecy was certainly fulfilled with Hezekiah, but it was more completely fulfilled with Jesus. And that's typically what we hear. And that's, that's very true as far as it goes. And yet, I think there might be something else that's happening here. I think there's another side to this story that we need to pay attention to. You see, the ancient rabbis <clears throat> um, had this practice where they would connect certain passages of Scripture with, with each other. Um, it was kind of like a running list of, of teachings. So imagine a piece of paper, if you will, with a column, with two columns, one on either side. Uh, on the left side, actually, since it was Hebrew, it would be on the right side because they read opposite, I'm just saying. Uh, on one side, you would see um, the actual scripture passage, but on the opposite side, in the other column, you would see the teachings of the rabbis. Rabbi so-and-so made this comment about this teaching. Rabbi so-and-so wanted to make sure that we did this, X, Y, and Z. And so typically what would happen is there would be this running commentary alongside of the actual scripture passage about what Rabbi said as it relates to practice and theology. Okay? And the term is called midrash. Let me hear you say midrash. Midrash, right. Uh, major friends at parties. I know Hebrew. Um, midrash is this idea of teaching that's accompanied these scriptures. And so these two things are connected to each other. And I think Matthew is employing this here. I am telling you this story, but let me offer a little bit of teaching on the side. Are you with me? This little midrash that's, that's going on. I'm going to connect these passages. I'm going to make a comment. And Matthew um, using this midrash, is saying something very profound. He's saying about the birth of Jesus, this birth is like that one back then. This birth of this Savior is very much like that one that happened a few hundred years ago. This is like that. I want you to connect to those two, and if you were a Jewish reader, you would immediately understand that. You would have completely said, okay, these two things equate to one another. What can I learn from that? And it would cause you to ask some questions. It's this birth of, of Jesus is like that. It's that important. It's that profound. This is a big deal. Are you with me? It's a huge deal. Now, today is the first Sunday in Advent. <clears throat> and uh, we light candles every single week to... Um, Help us mark time, because the word Advent means basically waiting, and I am so good with waiting. I'm just going to tell you that up front. Not. I'm not. So I need the help. We light these candles to help us mark that time through this season of, of waiting. And of course, different traditions call the candles by different names. I grew up in the Lutheran church, and there was a whole thing about what the candles mean. And, and if you um, have ever attended a Catholic church, you know the, the, the same thing holds true, and our Methodist brothers and sisters, they've got an, another one that they, that they use. But at Thrive Church, this year, we're calling this one the hope candle. Because here's what hope means. Hope means that we are expecting or anticipating something good. I was doing some research on this, and uh, I realized that very often when I use the word hope, I kind of mean to myself, wish. Hope means that there's a certain amount of confidence that something good is going to come out of this because God is active, right? That's what hope actually is. And, and we want to, to mark time this season and talk about hope. 
And every year we celebrate hope. And, and here's the thing. This is the same hope that people had for Hezekiah. It's the same hope that people had for a Savior named Jesus. Because we serve the God of hope. And I really like um, the song that we sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Because there's a certain amount of, well, it's not even just the, the, the music. is just kind of in that minor key. But there's also this longing for something better. And it talks about Satan's tyranny. Remember reading that? And it talks about people being, you know, just um, under the thumb and just feeling that pressure. And, and yet there's this Emmanuel, please come. There's a hopefulness to it. And I like the fact that we, we connect those things together. So if this holiday season you find yourself stressed, oppressed, maybe a little depressed, right? The message that God gave to Ahaz still echoes throughout the centuries to you and me. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Why? Because the Lord himself has given you a sign. The Lord himself has given you a sign, and it's a manual, which means... God with us, which, by the way, means God with you and you and you and you with you. God is here and God is with us, and that's a very hopeful thought, I think.